This is The Bubble. He is Mike Bonner. I am Montana Samuels, and we are back for our second of second pod of our trilogy podcast about uh, InfoWars and how it's interacting with social media. Um, and we figured we'd just jump right into it this yeah, time around. One quick thing. If you hear seagulls in this podcast... <laughs> It's because our window is open because the Standard Times doesn't have air conditioning. It's hot, so we open the window. But anyway, let's uh, let's get into it. We'll just we'll get just at it uh, here with uh, Professor Dwight Duncan from uh, UMass Dartmouth here to talk about what we've been talking about last week and what we'll continue to do next week in our three part series. But uh, Professor Duncan, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah. Uh, glad to be with you. Great. So I guess the big question and kind of the, the overlapping umbrella type question that includes it all is how does the First Amendment, from your perspective, uh, play into this InfoWars social media uh, story? Well, you know, it's an interesting question, partly because, you know, the First Amendment, like pretty much all the Bill of Rights, applies to government action, what we call state action. So it's really a restriction on governmental uh, infringement of free speech and of the press, right? So I, my sense of it is that the info wars, you know, we're talking about really big private corporations, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. That, that may be subject to regulation, but in principle, you know, freedom of speech runs, you know, in, in favor of the, of, of the private entity, right, against the government. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the overarching constitutional question, you know, here. Um, is it, are we talking about public governmental speech or, or are we talking about private speech? Mm-hmm. And if it's private speech, then it's protected by the First Amendment. Right. And it seems like here it would, it, my understanding and kind of looking and reading some of it, it was more uh, with business speech and so to speak because in order to you know speak on twitter or facebook or mm-hmm. whatever it may be you have to agree to certain rules that they are allowed to kind of censure that speech is that correct in saying that if i'm using whatever avenue whether it's uh myspace mm-hmm. or facebook or whatever it may be that is existing or no longer existing that you have to kind of abide by those rules and companies can't I do that is yes i think that's right um you know, the, in, in traditional media, right, mm-hmm. there was a, a pretty sharp distinction between, um, you know, in, in uh, communications media, between common carriers mm-hmm. on the one hand, which essentially were required to carry everybody's stuff, like, for example, the phone lines, right? Okay. Um, you can basically say whatever you want over the phone, I mean, you know, with some broad limits in terms of uh, threatening speech or whatever, mm-hmm annoying and harassing speech, but but basically the idea is the phone company really doesn't get involved, well, you know, in, yeah. in censoring people's um, private communications, right? But but then but then there was, you know, another category of communication which was basically broadcast, you know, television, radio, and as to that, you know, there was um, a kind of government. Uh, a kind of broad government regulation in the public interest, right? Uh, uh, whatever, you know, in terms of what was, what was allowed to be broadcast. And so, you know, uh, licensees, whether radio or television, had to, had to somehow operate in the public interest or show that, 
you know, that they were being responsible in terms of 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 uh, u- their use of the broadcast spectrum. So, in that sense, there was it, there was more government regulation that was permissible of the content of broadcast speech. Of course, internet falls sort of between the two <laughs> the two extremes, you know, of common carrier to private, you know, phone line kind of thing, and and the broadcast, right? And and so, to a certain degree, I, I think the legal system is, is, is really only now, you know, kind of catching up with the technological developments, right? So, so there are very significant issues, obviously, raised by corporate power and, you know, the ability that, that these large entities like Google or Facebook or what have you have to, to essentially, you know, control speech right um and you know in principle the first amendment protects them in 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 that um although i think it may in fact be more complicated you know right uh, in practice well and so that sort of gets a i i was when this story first came up i was really curious to see um even your opinion on how like you said, the the government and how they're uh, legislating this is sort of just catching up to the internet. What do you think, if you're willing to hypothesize, what the future of like how the First Amendment may interact with these like terms and terms of service agreements that these internet companies have? Do you think there will be more government interaction into ensuring that people have a platform to continue to speak, or do you think they'll allow them the right to censor when they deem fit? Yeah, I you know that's a really good question, and I'm not you know I I, I, I wish I were in a b- better position to sure. answer <laughs> intelligently. I guess my sense of it is that um, you know we're in a very evolving kind of framework now. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are certain extremes. Like I, I don't think government should be basically government should assume the role of censor, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, and, and and more or less decide what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Um, on social media, uh, but that being said, I think government could could have a role in sort of policing fair access, right, to to social media, and that there not be you know kind of discriminatory practices on the part of um, of uh, you know social media providers, right, uh-huh. uh, Facebook or Google or or, or or YouTube or what have you. Um, uh, so, so I mean, it's, it just seems to me like, I, and I'm not really sure how this is eventually going to fall out, right? right? But, I, but I do think the First Amendment is going to prevent a situation where government makes these calls, right, all the time. Sure. Uh, although I think there is there is a role for government in in assuring sort of equal access in a way. Um, to the internet you mentioned earlier about you know telephone service and then broadcast Mm -hmm. uh do we do you know how long it took 
after the invention of those items for the laws to kind of settle into place, where as social media, as you said, it's it's relatively new. It's mm-hmm. been around about a mm-hmm. decade-ish, uh, and especially the way it's been using now. I, I feel like YouTube five years ago was about cat, funny cat videos, and now it's it's very much changed. Sure. Uh, do, is there a yeah. sense of how long the laws may need to catch up uh, and in terms of a time span? I, I, you know, my sense of it is it, it, it probably is, you know, is going to take another decade, I think, yeah. to, you know, to kind of settle down. I, you know, in the case of the uh, broadcast media, it started with, with federal regulation of the radio hmm. in the 1920s. And then, you know, with the invention of tele- television in the 1930s, it, 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 it expanded to that. Um, but it took a while for doctrines to de- legal doctrines to develop. I mean, there was a, the development of a doctrine called the Fairness Doctrine, right? That that assured that um, broadcasters essentially give equal time to um, uh, you know varying views on controversial issues of public importance, or e- give equal time to coverage of can- major candidates, right? This mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it's interesting that that. That kind of, the fairness doctrine was itself repealed in the early 1980s under the Reagan administration because there was a, a feel that somehow a feeling that somehow the private market should really resolve these questions and that there was no longer the the kind of a scarcity of spectrum you know broadcast spectrum space with the advent of cable and satellite and you know all the kinds of and the internet you know there was no longer need for government to kind of uh, get into these content kind of issues, right? Right. So, so I thought that was an interesting development. And I do think, just in general, our system tends to favor, you know, the private entities, right, the private mm-hmm. parties, vis-a-vis the government, right, when it comes to expressive questions. Right. When you were – I'm just curious about sort of your broad overview of um, the happenings within the Info InfoWars, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, as the story is played out. Was there anything that jumped out to you from a First Amendment perspective that seemed odd or strange or seemed like there was something that could have broader implications moving forward from that story? Well, it's a good question, but I, I you know, I... To be honest, I honestly haven't followed it, the Infowars, all sure. that closely, so I don't, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I have to punt there, I think. Sure. Something that's kind of come up when I'm reading about it and thinking about it uh, a lot was people's interpretation of the First Amendment in free speech. Uh, we don't talk about it a lot, and this is how I, I my mind kind of worked in the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, and it's very quite uh, commonplace that there are restrictions on the Second Amendment and whether you call it gun control or... Uh, now, right. what kind of restrictions, or if any, are there on the First Amendment regarding speech or, you know, using the same term, speech control? What what are some of yeah, the well, regulations very, there? Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, in fact, um, there's very little control over the content of, by government over the content of speech. Mm-hmm. Um but there is a fair amount of control over what's called the time, place, and manner of speech, right? So, I don't know, you could um, restrict having a uh, loudspeaker, you know, uh, in a neighborhood, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, you couldn't restrict, uh, you know, people from talking about certain subjects on the public sidewalk, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so content-based restrictions are always much more problematic, you know, apart from a very narrow category of speech that is, for example, incitement to, you know, imminent violence, right, or um, obscenity, you know, which is fairly restrictively defined, right? Those kind, those forms of expression are fall outside First Amendment protection. But, but in general, you know, the government can can regulate the time, place, or manner of of, of speech, right? So, um, you know, where and and how this the the, the speech is is uh, maintained, you know, can can vary quite considerably in the legal system. The thing that I've noticed in the past few years, and I'm, I'm noticing in it among my students, and that is my sense it is, is that the millennials and you know and and younger, they kind of don't instinctively get the First Amendment. In other words, they, you know, I think my generation was sort of, which was the '60s, was sort of schooled in the First Amendment in a way, right? That that all the social protests of the '60s, both the civil rights and the, Vietnam War protests really depended on, you know, a, a wide under, understanding of freedom of speech and of the press, right? And, and what I'm, I'm, I'm seeing now is because of political correctness, because of a reaction to Trump, whatever it is, there's much less appreciation for the significance and value and importance of the First Amendment, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even the fact that Trump so cavalierly... Um, criticizes the, you know, the press uh, mm-hmm. with his tweets, I think is a little bit of a sign of the times, right? That, that somehow he doesn't quite get freedom of, of the press, mm-hmm. I don't think, right? That, to have the president doing this is, 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 is kind of unprecedented in a way. I mean, Nixon did it, but in private, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, whereas Trump does it publicly. And, I, and it's not just, you know, the Trump supporters that do this, the opponents of Trump do this, right? Mm-hmm. That that they want to shut down people who disagree with them, right? right. So that they can't, they they no longer have a a speech platform, right? Right. Uh, you you sort of. So I, I guess I'm a little, you know, I, I just am a little concerned about the future of the First Amendment because sure. up until now, our legal system has really prized the First Amendment, both freedom of speech, press, and also religion. But increasingly, they are being called into question, right? Um, so, yeah. so uh, to me, that's a concern. Do you think that has a lot to do with the fact that you, you mentioned the '60s era protests, and when those things were happening, it was obviously sort of pre-internet. You had to go out and protest, and that's where you were sharing your voice. And then, inevitably, the interaction you would get would be with some sort of government entity, whether that be police or a politician responding or what have you. But for the right. younger generations, those uh, conversations are happening uh, via the internet or social media websites. And sort of like what we're talking about, the the government hasn't quite chosen to interfere in those discussions yet. But we're now seeing the social media sites come in and sort of try to play referee um, to make those decisions. So do, do you think the... Um, understanding of the First Amendment differs at all based on the platform of the conversations that are being had um, uh, that are different generationally? Well, yes, I do think there's, you know, a significant generational sort of shift in valuing the First Amendment and um, 
I would I, I would just argue that these you know uh, social media platforms like Instagram or Twitter or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, while they, I think it's fine that they police to a certain degree, you know, that the, the more extreme kind of racist or hateful or obscene mm-hmm. kind of, you know, conversations. Um, I, I, I just would argue that they, you know, that they, they, that they value freedom of expression, you know, as, as a very significant value, right? Sure. So that, so that even if they're not technically bound by the First Amendment, nonetheless, the spirit of the First Amendment kind of animates their enterprise, right? So, sure. um, but you know, that, it's hard to comment intelligently without a sort of a specific proposal, you know, in right, front of you. Right. Uh, it, 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 and I guess I'll just kind of maybe wrap it up here in terms of it. You make a great point, and I'm trying to think through history. Is there anything like this where? the means of using speech are so closely tied with a private industry, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, where in the past it seemed like speech was directly, whether it was written or spoken, it was tied to that person. But now it seems like we're almost on the coattails of another industry. Is there anything like this? Is there any precedence of this in history that you can remember? Well, I mean, you know, I... (laughs) I'm inclined to go back to something like the invention of the printing press, you okay, know, yeah. in the 1400s, right? That totally changed communication. I mean, things like the Protestant Reformation really, are, you know, can only be understood, you know, in, in terms of the, you know, the availability of, of print in a way, mm-hmm. I, you know, and sort sure. of... Sure, okay, yeah. So, so I, 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 I'm thinking that really the Internet... Is, is a very radical, you know, ch- media change, you know, comparable to the inventing of the printing press, maybe. And, and so it's not surprising that there be these rather dramatic, you know, fallout from it. And I think my sense of it is the culture and the law have to sort of come to terms with this or, you know, figure out, you know, how to get a handle on it, lest, you know, lest it could totally control us, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely questions to to, yeah. to be watched in the future that really no one necessarily has. Uh, Professor Duncan, we really want to thank you so much. This was a really great conversation. Oh, well, great. Thank you. It was a pleasure. So once again, we just want to thank Professor Dwight Duncan from UMass Dartmouth for joining us and uh, speaking through some of our hypotheticals with us. Um, just to give a a, a brief update on where some of the players in this story that apparently is still developing stand. So the New York Times, um, they didn't take part in a discussion, but they were witness to a discussion of Twitter uh, at Twitter headquarters involving CEO Jack Dorsey, um, Cecilia Kang or Kong, uh, and Kate Conger. Um, wrote a story about it. And essentially this discussion was about their safety policies. Um, How can Twitter as a technological company with their technology police hate speech and conspiracy and different things of this nature? And Mike, do you want to guess what the answer to that question is? They can't. They don't know. They don't know. That's our update. I think Professor Duncan brought up a really 
great point or great comparison that I had not thought of before is to me, Twitter is much more along the lines of the phone company Mm -hmm. than maybe some other social media aspects, in my opinion, uh, because to me, it's Twitter is speech. That's all that it really is. That's That's what what makes Twitter. Twitter is its speech aspect where Instagram uh, is certainly more expression. Uh, Facebook is more community oriented or the purpose of it. I don't know. I'm trying to, in my mind, think right now what other aspects, whether it's used properly or not. Like, for example, Facebook has its own problems, and but the the sure. key core of it is you know bringing community or friends together, and right. that's where it kind of started. Where to me, Twitter has always been. It's where it developed, uh, evolved to. It was definitely at first uh, just meant to rate. Uh, it was very sexist in its origins, but we won't. Facebook, get it. yeah, you're up. You saw the social network, didn't you? I did not know. I think it was originally created to rate uh, women on a scale of one to ten. Well, I, I, when I got it, I'm just saying. When I, shout out to the Zuck. <laughs> I was I used it as a as a person in college trying sure. to connect with friends. Yeah. Where I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, now for me, Twitter, it's always been about it's a soapbox essentially, right? And yep. for me, Facebook is the same thing. It's connecting with people, and I really don't even use Facebook that much anymore. Right. But Twitter, it's a soapbox. I think you yeah. said it perfectly. So, so one thing that I I really found interesting um, within this discussion too was. Um, how quickly legislation must evolve to sort of encompass the things that are happening with the internet, right? So the internet is moving so fast that it's almost impossible for these legislative bodies to accurately create um, laws that sort of cover them properly. Because if you were to create, let, let's say right now you were to create a law that um, made it so an Alex Jones network couldn't engage in conspiracy or misinformation anymore. There could be a workaround that happens tomorrow because it's the internet and we have people who are proficient at cheating internet systems that could completely negate the whole importance of that law. And so it's interesting to me to see Twitter sort of stepping out on this ledge as the only one who's like, well, let's let's have the conversation then. Whether or not it's working or it's not working or people are happy about it or not happy, they're still saying, well, is there anything that we can truly do about this rather than... And I don't know which is right, right? I don't know if they should just say we're banning Alex Jones because his content violated our terms of service. But, I mean, you look, Vimeo's the latest one. Vimeo, Facebook have all done it. Is having the conversation better than just banning it, or it, are they actually doing a worse job? That's sort of the questions I'm trying to parse in my head as someone who's... As you brought that up, I think it's an interesting point in the evolution of humanity, or specifically the okay. country, because you're 100% right. They're very complicated questions, and as we had Professor Duncan on, he wasn't much sure, more well-versed. He, right. he, you know, we're, not, we're not sure of the answers yet. But I think it challenges the evolution of society because you need right. to have these conversations and you can't yeah. have them in terms of DR win-loss. Right. It can't be, well, are you banning Alex Jones because you're a Democrat or a Republican? Or right. they need to just be had in logical conversation. And I'm not sure 
where we are as a country, especially the legislators. Oh, and law. Yeah, yeah. To try to figure that out because it's literally it has to be a a sit down conversation. Right. Well, the other What's inter- next? the other interesting thing to add into that uh, for context purposes is. Uh, financial bottom lines as well right mm-hmm. i mean we're not dealing with a government or uh even an independent person we're dealing with businesses at the end of the day sure they brand themselves as this sort of like community and like place of engagement and things like that but if jack dorsey and twitter start to they see the company values start to go down exponentially because of this i guarantee you there's a quick fix that happens and alex jones will like if, if it's alex jones or anyone else related that person who has instigated this loss of dollar figures will soon be taken care of on their platform. Because- but I, I, I do think that's where laws come in differently because it's not this. Trying, maybe it, it's kind of like the FDA, you know, because yes, mm-hmm. you can produce food, but it has to be, has to, you know, sure. <laughs> follow some of these guidelines. Social media is an entity in its own where. It it is, it, it is like a food. You know, it can cause some huge damage if not properly manufactured correctly. Well, we sort of, yeah. and it's just like Professor Duncan said: you can't go out and you can't have a rally at midnight. The government can't impose that, saying, yeah, no, right. that's that's not that can't do it." Sure. So there is some things that can be. Now, the content is certainly something that, yeah, yeah. How how do you you get around that? But there there are some ways. Uh, as I think I made up the term, speech control. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and certainly like clear and present danger restrictions and things like that um, are in play. But I, th- I think the interest – so it, this is all – I feel like we've given the perspective that the government and social media haven't really been interacting. They definitely have. There have been meetings um, where Facebook and its like upper management or what have you have gone and sat with – like the government councils on this, but it's pretty similar to what the New York times saw, which is just like, we don't really know where we stand on this. I think YouTube has been big in those meetings as well. I'll try to find those articles so we can link them in the, uh, in the description to this podcast. But I think we're reaching a point where with there like truly needs to be a, like a, like a head of like, like essentially there needs to be the really important internet people who understand what's at stake and how to actually curtail the problems need to sit down and be like some of this stuff has to get figured out because you can only see it just continuing to pile on until at a point it has to become unmanageable right yeah i think it's it's like i said it it's going to challenge I think it already has, and we haven't been doing very well. Right, right? that's what I'm because I don't I don't see how you would do well because it's 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 believing facts. It's not it's believing facts, and I think more importantly, it's checking power at the door. Right. I mean, that's why some of some deniers or whatever of of facts they they they're where they want to be. They're they deny climate change for example right well why are they doing that well is it because their base believes that well that's not right you know you you're not here to remain in power right you're not here to get reelected you're here to improve the country so i sure. think that's something where the elected officials need to sit down and make 
maybe not the best decisions for themselves, but the best decisions for the future, looking long term right. rather than short term. And I'm not sure where we are in that path. Well, because it all starts at what the internet was originated for. Like, like how do you tear off the internet, right? So you can't, well, I won't say you can't. Should we be policing, like, eastsidestevie.tumblr.com the same way as we're policing Alex Jones and InfoWars on Twitter? Rest in peace, ASAP Yams. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you just said. <laughs> but, like, you know, do you, you know what I mean? Like, is my fake Instagram page, let's say I have one, I don't, but let's let's say I have a fake Instagram page. Should that be policed the same way that Donald Trump's Twitter page is policed? Should I be held to the same standard? I think that it is in terms like if, if, and we've seen examples of people on Twitter saying they're going to commit an act of violence and they are arrested for it. Sure. Rarely. I, I think when it's brought to the attention, I mean, I don't, I don't know. What was the, the it was uh, the YouTube comments of the Parkland shooter were brought to federal, I think it was brought up to FBI attention prior to the, the shooting and they didn't do anything about it, you know? So it seems, oh, it, what I, it's rather hit and miss, you know? That, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it, it seems like it's being weighed differently if it comes from a private citizen whether it, than when it comes from a public figure. To you brought up ex- one example. You know, I, I just to think, an extent, sure. Yeah, I mean, I th- I've seen examples where it has. You know, I mean, one example doesn't mean anything in terms of its context, sure. right? Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I that that's something that I that I thought I think we've already learned. Have we not? In terms of whatever you post on social media, that, well, it'll that's come back for yeah. forever. Yep. I mean, look at Major League Baseball right now; they're dealing with that of you know racist tweets or anything. It doesn't matter if you were fourteen, which I think is probably unfair. Um, sure. In terms, or I think Bomani Jones of ESPN said it the best is show, show the evidence of how you've evolved. You know, there's never a follow-up question right. of how have you changed? Not, okay, you've yeah, changed. exactly. Yeah. That's don't where just the give interesting me a, aspect is. Don't give me a statement. Give me uh that's the, I mean, a quick sidebar. I would love to like have an interview with some of those people who can articulate like, this is where I grew up. This is why I was saying those things at the time. Here's where I realized it was a problem. But we are, so yes, we are policing the, you know, it, it it matters. So we're policing. Yes. And maybe that in turn will, there'll be an overcorrection because we are policing that and then no one's going to want to be on there. You know who's policing that stuff. It's not the government or it's, it's, it's Twitter users. So, like, do twi- our Twitter? This sort of brings us back to Twitter's original point, which is like, it's not our job to police who's saying bad things; it's journalists' jobs. Well, no, like we're n- like Twitter users and journalists aren't on staff for Twitter. Like, if you want those people to police your infrastructure, then it's a put yes and. I mean, we're in total philosophy mode right now. But if every single person had a Twitter and they were an active member, then yeah, it would work. Because what's a journalist? I remember I was talking to some students at uh, a middle school, and they were asking me what a journalist was, and they were asking me a lot of questions. And I said, you're a journalist. You, were, you didn't know anything about me. You were asking questions about my background. You're and asking, now you know. And sure. now, that's all that it is. So the people saying policing or retweeting, or there's kind of some journalism ethics, journalism integrity there, which is presenting something right and then letting the masses decide what what is right or wrong it is raining outside 
Right. Is I that mean, good sure. or bad? You decide. I think. Yeah, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, that's I, I the thing that needs to be stated very clearly then by these social media companies is this is a self-policed entity. And those things need to be taken really seriously then if that's the case. And Twitter's and the a, only person who's really done that, only entity that's done that. Facebook right. and others have said, no, that's not the because case. Because there's, there's, of course, the option to report somebody. But whether or not those things are taken seriously is up for debate and also i'm curious to see like this is a question on a different topic but do you think now with all of the alex jones stuff that's happening do you think now these institutions will be quicker to hand these decisions down because you you look at the reporting on alex jones and it's he's been being reported and reported with community violations for the last like However, realistically, like well, however long he's been on YouTube. In theory, what we've basically been having this entire conversation in theory. In reality, it's impossible to police everyone on Twitter. I mean, I, I don't. Is it impossible? I mean, you just hire. You would think it wouldn't be impossible to police the biggest of the big, though, right? I don't. I, that's where my head always goes to financial bottom line. Well, then, but then, yeah, it to, to me, that's where. It comes in. We, we look at, you know, as I mentioned, the first and second amendment. We'll look at the second. We have these sure. new guns that are being made at 3D printing 3D guns. Printing sure, guns. Yeah. And the government's saying, no, you have to have a serial number or metal on it to, that's, that's right. a federal law. Well, the same thing, you, you're, if manufacturers make guns with a certain amount of standard, if you can't do that, then you can't make guns. Twitter, if you can't police, if, if your product can't be safe, then you can't then have can, a product. Sure. It's simple as that where, I mean, I've had an example where I came here, I changed my Twitter handle from Mike B. Bonner to Mike B. Bonner SCT. Someone took my at Mike B. Bonner Twitter handle and basically kept my same bio. Right. And totally just made it like, you know, an adult oriented Twitter handle. Right. I went to Twitter and said, hey, look, this person's like, you know, imitating me. Right. And it's not, I'm like a professional journalist. This is, my account is really... Right. directly tied to me this can't be happening and they found that there wasn't enough tie because right. i needed to i think provide some information to them and i was like uh, i'm not like I'm not providing you with like my id and like right. stuff to prove that prove who i am you know, it, exactly yeah and then they said well then if you don't want to provide i think it was like your license then i can't no what not, yeah your license is not tied to twitter i am not like yeah i'm not <laughs> With all the hacks that have happened, give me your social security number and your it was something crazy like that. And they were like, "No, since you there's not enough evidence to show this." When it was clearly enough evidence, I didn't even notice. Someone brought it to my attention on my former followers. So if they can kind of see it, anyone can really see it except Twitter. Right. So there definitely needs to be some policing in there. And if you can't do it, then your product isn't. It's not really. It's not that it's not worth anything. It's just not sustainable at the end of the day, right? Because. Well, but yeah, we but we always come back to this point, which is even let let's say hypothetically it's deemed that like Twitter can't scale this to the next level it has to scale, which is providing more safety, providing essentially a place where like misinformation can't be spread that changes the landscape of the American thinking to a certain extent. Will people leave the platform? They haven't left before. Like, does anyone ever leave social media platforms? But I no, we don't. I mean, MySpace, even though it still has a lot of people, but not as much as it had. 
My, I think, but is MySpace old enough to where it just got taken out by a better interface, right? I'm sitting here struggling. I, I think you're right. It's a good question, but I don't know if we know. I, yeah, it's, that's true. I mean, I mean, think of, I, I think that you're right. Like right now, right. 2018, if you told me, is Twitter, is Facebook going to disappear? I would have to say no. But the same thing for the same reasons that if somebody said in 1970 sure. that in 40 years, even, you can even go to the 80s, even then we go 90s. Right. If you said Ford is not going to make cars anymore, just trucks and SUVs, someone would be like, you're insane. Right. I think as uh, um, UMass Dartmouth's chancellor said at one of his, uh, I heard him talk, he said, in the 90s, if you said the biggest most powerful companies in the world are, or some of the most powerful companies in the world. What we're talking about, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, they're going to be giants. They're going right. to be worth more than the Detroit big three, the main, the car sure. manufacturers, and they're not going to make anything. Yeah. People wouldn't have believed that. They're not going to, you're not, you're going to love this thing. You're going to, it's going to be Netflix. It's sure. going to be huge and you're not going to, they're not, they don't make anything, they but yet just, they're going to be yeah. billionaires. People will be like, no. So because of that, I would say I don't know what the future holds, but you're right. I can't – I don't know how Facebook yeah. would dissolve, but – It is interesting to think about like the next steps of social media, right? Like what does that look like? Or, I mean, so it always seems like there's a point that's hit where like people decide enough is enough. We're going to, by use of our dollar or our interaction – decide that this is no longer the thing we do. That was the case with MySpace. People just stopped using the interface. It's interesting to sort of think long-term and hypothesize about what that could possibly be, especially in the modern, in modernity where we're like, well, maybe this is it, like every other week. But that's the other question is, is you, I think that would be the ultimate thing is if, if it was capitalistic in the sense of consumers because right. you're paying we're not paying for any of these services, specifically right. Instagram. Sure. So that's, I think if there was a value attached to it, that's I think true it would too. matter. Yeah, I didn't think but about that. But the fact that like where, it doesn't matter. I can create an account and move on and it's all I use usage, it or not. Right? right. It's all like, yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know. Once it, We always reach this point, but it's like we don't really know. If I had to pay for Twitter, I think it would, or any of those sites, it would vastly change things because... I wouldn't use it. Yeah, people wouldn't use it. Yeah. And there, what value would you be providing me? But since it's free, it really kind of yeah. creates its yeah. own... It's interesting to think that, yeah. and Yeah. It's, it's just really interesting to think that this these free interfaces are being... Alex Jones's profits at the end of the day, you can probably say with almost certainty that he will be affected by the fact that these free websites no longer allow him to put his content on them, which is kind of nuts the way that business works. And I think that's a perfect segue into into what part we're three talk about next week sure. is kind of the business aspect of these right. uh, social media aspects. So hopefully you've enjoyed part one and two. Uh, part three next week. We're excited for it. It's going to be prototypical Mike Bonner, Montana Samuels hypothesizing. So if you've listened to the bubble for this long, I'm sure you'll like it. If you're new to it, uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. That's, we'll what we'll, see. that's what we'll bring here. We may not like it, but we'll see. 
For Mike Bonner, I am Montana Samuels, and we hope you'll have us back. <laughs>